Hey, how are you guys doing? Good? Good. Good. Yeah, hey. Great. Well, hey, turn your Bibles. Open up your Bibles to 1 John. 1 John 2, 15 through 17. That's where we'll be tonight. We're starting this new series. That's just three weeks. And uh, it's called Life Issues. We know how hard life can be uh, legitimately, how, I'm not being sarcastic, how hard life can be as a teenager. Is this echoey? Is it just me? Yeah, okay, sorry. I'll make sure. So we know how hard life can be as a teenager, as a high school student. And so we picked out just a few issues that we think you might deal with on a daily basis, and we're going to talk about them for the next three weeks. Um, tonight, I'm going to be talking about loving the world or not loving the world and we're going to look at it through the lens of media. Next week, Brad is going to be talking about how to treat people. And he's going to look at it from the angle of bullying. And then in the last week, Ryan is going to address whether you or whether we are fans of Jesus or followers of Jesus and everything that goes along with that. So we're just going to be talking about some various life issues for the next three weeks. Uh, I'm going to read our passage uh, it's only three verses, nice and short, and then I'll pray again, and then we'll get going. 1 John 2, 15 through 17. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. Father, thanks that we can gather here as your people. And we can approach your throne with confidence knowing that, Christ, you have purchased our salvation on the cross. And that's just what we celebrated at Easter, that you died for us and you rose from the grave for us. And so we come with great expectation that you love us, that you accept us, that you do not look at us in Christ as if you are angry with us, but you receive us because you receive him. And so I pray that you would Help us tonight to look at Christ and love him and not love the world. Forgive me, Father, because I love the world too much. And I pray, Lord, that you would open up our eyes to see how we love the world and not you. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Every day, whether you realize it or not, you are influenced. You are constantly under attack. Your mind is under attack, your heart is under attack, to want things, to love things, to desire things. And the most significant way this happens today is through what we call media. And I'm not just talking about the news media. But media is just a, it's the plural word of medium, and it's any medium that communicates. Communication always needs a medium, it always needs a channel. And so when we talk about media, we're talking about anything that communicates. And I'm just thinking of a few main ones that you probably deal with on a daily basis. I'm thinking of social media, like Facebook. I'm thinking of advertising media, like commercials. Or entertainment media, 
like music, television, movies. And if you think about it, if you're honest, you know all media preaches to you. It preaches a message. If you have this, if you look like this, if you accomplish this, if you do this, if you are this, you'll be approved by people, you'll have a comfortable life, and you'll have power over other people and your own destiny. So if you're really honest, media makes promises to you. It makes promises to me. But if we're also honest, we know that the media can never deliver on those promises. Think about a couple examples, and these might be extreme, and they might be funny. Think about Axe body spray. Some loser dude sprays dark temptation under his armpit, or in his armpit, and he has every girl flocking to him. So that's communicating something. It's selling you something, and it's asking you to buy it. It's, what it's selling you is, if you wear this, man, people are going to love you. Think about Facebook. Facebook. What Facebook sells is you. You have a profile with your name and your mug right there on the website. And so when you go to other people's Facebooks, you can often be tempted to think, I don't have as good of a life as they do. Look at the party they went to. Look at the friends they have. Their, their profile just looks better than mine. Their resume, their life resume looks better than mine. Think about this media. Think about television or t uh, TV shows or movies where women, girls, you see, you see a woman who's a model or an actress and you think she's just gorgeous and you think, my body doesn't look like that. I wish I looked like that. Or guys, maybe you love sports or music or art or whatever it is that you like and you say, man, if I was just like this athlete or if I was just like this artist, then, then my life would have some worth. So all of these different mediums are communicating something. Think about an iPhone. You know the, the commercial, the iPhone commercial? Um, I love it. The guy ends the commercial. You can't see him. It's just a voice. And he says, if you don't have an iPhone, you don't have an iPhone. What he's saying is, is if you don't have an iPhone, then you're, you're not as good as the people who have iPhones. I mean, that's what they're saying. And so mediums communicate something. Media in itself is not bad. But if we look deeper into our own hearts, what we see is that we use media to get what we want. We use media to get what our flesh desires most. Whether that's, whether that's Axe Body Spray or Facebook or, or an iPhone. And let's, if, I mean, there's, there's tons of you in the room right now, and this is just kind of proof of where we're going to go, that would ra you'd rather be on your cell phone than listen. And you'd rather use that medium to communicate, to get something you want. That could be approval from a boyfriend or a girlfriend. It could be uh, because you want a score of a game or you want just to play games on your cell phone. Whatever it is, there's that temptation there because you want what that media promises you, whatever it is that it is promising you. Um, well, the Apostle John, the author of our text, he wrote to Christians about 2,000 years ago. They didn't have iPhones. They didn't have Axe body spray. They didn't have anything to really shower with, I don't think. Water. They didn't have designer clothes. They didn't have commercials. But these people were continually tempted to turn from God to love other things. And that's why John wrote this little section. 
most of his letter, if you read this letter, and it's a beautiful letter. It is, it is wonderful. And I would encourage you to read the whole thing. It would probably only take you about 20 minutes to read. Most of his letter is about how loving God leads to loving people. But he takes a little detour in our section. He gives us uh, three verses on not loving the world. Most of the letter is about loving God, loving people, and then he gives us three verses on do not love the world. And he does that because he wants to get to his main point. So here's the big idea, and I think it's on your outline. The big idea is if you love the world, you cannot love God. And if you do not love God, you cannot love other people. The big idea, if you, do not love, if you love the world, you cannot love God. That's the, that's the big idea. So we'll get into our, our passage here. First thing John wants us to see is, or he wants to tell us, is a command. He says, do not love the world. Look at verse 15. Do not love the world or the things in the world. It's a command. And since it's a command, this is probably the main point of the passage. Whenever you see a command, there's usually, uh, that's usually the main point. Everything else in this paragraph is just argument. He's just giving you reasons for why he's saying this. He says, here's what, here's what I'm telling you. Don't love the world. I'm going to spend a couple sentences tell you why, telling you why you shouldn't love the world. He gives us three reasons why we shouldn't love the world. Here's reason one. Verse 15, uh, second half of verse 15. Do not love the world because you cannot love the world and love God at the same time. That's basically what he says. He says it like this. For all that is in the world, or excuse me, if anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. So he says, you can't love God and the world. You can't do both. They can't coexist. You can't love the world and love God at the same time. Then he provides a foundation for us for how we know that loving the world means we can't love God. He, look at what he says in verse 16. He says, for, that's another word for like because, right? He's saying because, so if anyone loves the world, the love of the Father's not in him, because all that is in the world, and then skip the little parentheses right there, all that is in the world is not from the Father, but is from the world. So what he says is, the things of this world aren't of God. That's why you shouldn't love the world. And now you might be thinking right now, well, what about John 3.16? I'm sure you all know John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. So you're like, well, that seems to say that God loves the world. Right? I mean, you guys agree? Nothing? No? Yeah. For God so loved the world. And then, and then John writes and he says, don't love the world. And we're going to see in the next verse what he means. But here's, here's where he's going to go, and I'll just spoil the surprise for you. In John 3.16, the love that we see is a redemptive love. The word redemptive means to buy back. So it's a, it's a love that God is going to buy back sinners for himself. He's going to redeem people. He's going to save people. And then the love in 1 John 2 is not a redemptive love. It's a participatory love. It's a participation in sin kind of love. It's saying, I love this kind of sin. I'm going to participate in it. So the first one is about redeeming sinners. It's about saving people. The second one is about sharing in sin. And you guys know, I mean, I can't 
think of any examples off the top of my head, but you know there are words today that we use in different ways, in different contexts. And so I don't want anybody to leave saying, well, God doesn't love the world. He told us not to love the world. That's not the point. The point is, is here, the world is something different, and we're going to see it in the next little section. If we want to understand what John thinks about the world, we have to understand what he actually said about the world. And he wrote five books of the Bible. He wrote the Gospel of John. And in the Gospel of John, uh, chapter 12, 31, he says that the world is ruled by the evil one. And so this is a system. This is a system of rebellion. This is a system of idolatry that doesn't put God on the throne as king. And so that's the kind of world he's talking about. He's saying, don't love this world. Don't love this system of rebellion and pride that actually Satan runs, not God. So in the middle of that parenthesis that I, we skipped over, look back there, because that's where John tells us what's in the world. This is what he says is characteristic of the world. He says, For all that's in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride of life is not from the Father, but from the world. So he gives us three things. First is the desire of the flesh. This is what is in your sinful nature. What is in you? Like, you have, and I have, I, me too, I have ugly things in me. You have ugly things inside of you. And John calls those the desires of the flesh. And that's why, because of this reason, media is not all bad. Like, Facebook isn't just bad because it's Facebook. Commercials aren't bad because they're commercials. But they work together with the sinful nature in us, these desires we have, and they just, they just push the right buttons. Like, um, I don't go on Facebook anymore. I have it. But, man, there's times where you just you go on there and you're like, man, they look like they have so much more fun than me. They look like they have a better life than me. Or I write, I love to blog. I write blogs. And I might go to somebody else's blog and I'll be like, man, they got a lot more comments on their blog than I did. There's nothing wrong with a blog, right? It's the desires in me. So John's saying, What's in the world? You're in the world. You're the problem. I'm the problem. There's no people. There's no sin. There's no problem. Animals don't sin. So the problem is us, that we're here, and we have these desires. This is what's wrong. There's something in us that wants things, that craves things. Second thing, desire of the eyes. So this isn't something that's inside of us. This is something that's outside of us. But they work together, the eyes and the flesh. We see things, and then the inside of us, we want things. We want things that we see. Who, who doesn't see the new iPhone or the new whatever you have, a droid or whatever, and you, you want it? And you want it. You want the new one. You don't even know how the old one that you just got works. You just got it out of the box, and they already came out with the new edition, Right? And so we see things and then we want it. Another, another uh, definition or another translation for this word eyes in the original language could mean an intellectual desire or an aesthetic desire, maybe something not tangible, but it's just that you desire to, to know and to be kind of puffed up and you desire to have culture and, and to know things and to be, uh, to, to, to be somebody that, that has an astute intellect. And so it could be things you see, it could be your intelligence. And the third thing, pride in possessions, or pride in life. 
Basically, this is pride in what we have or in what we are, what we do. One scholar put it this way. I love this. A person who is proud in their life continually walks around to impress everyone he meets with his own non-existent importance. Did you catch that? Let me read it one more time. This kind of person walks around to impress everyone he meets with his own non-existent importance. Let me just be really honest with you. God is not impressed at your Facebook profile. He's not impressed that you have an iPhone. He's not impressed that you have friends that you can text whenever you want. He's not impressed that you desire something when something comes on a commercial. And you're like, that would make me happy. And then you get it. God is not impressed. All of the importance that we think we have is non-existent. It doesn't really matter. This kind of person basically just seeks to outdo other people in their luxurious living. And we all do this in little ways or in big ways. So if we were to categorize these three things, we'd see that one, we have an unhealthy desire for what we don't have, right? Who doesn't have an unhealthy desire for what you do? We all do. And then the second thing is that we have an unhealthy pride in what we do have. So we can't even get it right. We're either proud that we have things, we're self-righteous, we think we're so good, or we're just completely depressed and we're totally distraught that we don't have things. And if, and if you're honest with yourself, you know that you go through this on a daily basis, and I know that I do too. Well, that was reason one. All right, reason one. Let me review it again. Don't love the world can't love the world and God at the same time. Second two are a lot shorter. Look at verse 17a. And the world is passing away along with its desires. This is reason two. Don't love the world because it's passing away. This word passing away in Greek means something like it is in a state of transition. And the world is in a state of transition. It's in a state of transition because Jesus has already come. He's already come and he's already brought new life. And the world, and we just heard about this uh, when Brad talked about the new heavens and the new earth. The, the world is, is hurtling toward an end. It's coming quick. And Jesus will remake it all. And everything that we thought mattered won't matter. And so it's, this world is in a state of transition. It's passing away. And think about all of the media that is thrown at you, all of the communication that comes at you on any given day, will any of it last? Some of it will. I mean, some of it will last, right? The good things, the things that can be redeemed, the things that can be used to love God and love other people. But there's so much that is thrown at you daily that just won't last. And that's why and I am always looking for something new. You are always looking for something new, something better. You're always looking for something better. And I already used the best example I had, which was technology, which comes out with a new edition before you figured out how to get the other one out of the box. It's, it's rampant. Because they know advertisers and marketers aren't dumb. They know. We want, we want, we want, we want new things. So the media feeds us, or not the media, media feeds us. Instant gratification, instant pleasure, but it's passing away. It won't last. Reason three. 
Look at 17b, part b, second half of the verse. But, so a contrast here, something positive is coming because all he's been talking about is negative things. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. So reason three, don't love the world because whoever does the will of God abides forever, lives forever, won't die, won't perish, won't pass away with all these things. And again, I can't say it enough, the things aren't the problem, but it's how we use them to get what our selfish desires want. So, don't love the world, because the will of God, because whoever does the will of God will abide forever. And look at this connection. This is so important that you see this connection. Look at verse 15. He says, don't love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. So here, the opposite of loving the world is loving the Father. If you don't love the world, you do love the Father. And then in verse 17, and the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. So here, the opposite of loving the world is doing the will of God. In 1 John 3, 23, in the next chapter, John's going to say this. This is his commandment. Whenever you see that, in, especially in the New Testament, take note, underline it, highlight it. If you have your Bible, like, underline this. I promise you, it's okay to underline in your Bible. He says, this is the commandment, that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another, just as he commanded us. There's two things there, but John says it's one commandment. What's the commandment? What's the will of God? What does it mean? It means believe in his son and love other people. So John does this crazy thing where he ties in love for God, hatred of the world, belief in Jesus, obeying God's commands, and loving people, and he ties them all together. It's a different way of saying the same thing. If you hate the world, it means you love God. It means you believe in Jesus. It means you love other people. It means you do the will of God. Different ways of saying the same thing. So that's the third reason. Don't love the world. Because if you do the will of God, you will live forever. You will have eternal life. It's simple. Well, there's two reasons we love the world. And everybody has these. Or, excuse me, everybody has one of these in some kind of measure. Can't have both. First one is, you might not be born again. In John 3, if you were, actually, if you were at uh, Good Friday service, Tim Weeby gave a great sermon on John 3. He talked about the new birth. The new birth is what God does in us when he makes Jesus look wonderful and he makes Jesus the Savior and the Lord and the treasure of our life. And so you might not love God and you might love the world and you might say, James, I don't really care. I am much more impressed with technology and fashion and what I look like than God. And if that's how you feel, it's because you're not born again. You're not a Christian. The other option is that you are a Christian, but your heart has grown cold and it needs to be warmed by the Holy Spirit. 
and we all experience that. If you're a Christian, every Christian in here experiences that on a daily basis in some measure, I'm sure. I know I do. I wouldn't sin if I didn't get cold at some points toward God. This whole letter is about walking in the light. This whole thing that John writes is about walking in the light. He says in the first chapter, God is light, in him there is no darkness. And if you read John, what you'll see is that he uses the words darkness and world interchangeably. So he's saying in the world there's darkness. Darkness is what the world is. But in God there is no darkness. And there's no part of the world that is in God. God is separate from the world. He is different from the world. So to walk in the light means to be a person who loves God and walks in light through confession, through being honest, through saying, I don't want to love the world. I want to love God. That's what it means to walk in the light. Loving the world, loving the darkness is opposed. It's diametrically opposed. You can't get more opposed to God than to love the world and to love darkness. And there's, there's one main characteristic of living in the world. And it's narcissistic living. And if you don't know the word narcissism, you need to learn it. Because we're all narcissistic. Narcissism is a turning inward on yourself. And all you can think about is yourself. And all you think about is yourself. And so sin inherently is antisocial. And that's what we see in this passage where John's saying, if you love the world, like, you're not going to love God. You have the desires of your flesh, the desires of your eyes, pride in life. All you're doing is looking at what you want or what you don't have. So sin is antisocial. And all it is is this constant chorus, this constant phrase of, I want, I want, I want, I want, I want, I want, I want. Me, 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 me. That's all it is. That's all sin is. Think about any sin that you've committed on uh, today. Why did you do it? Why did I do it? It's because it was about me. And I had, a, I had a desire that wasn't met and I wanted it. Or I didn't have something and I wanted to get it. Or I, have, I had something and I was, I was really proud that I had it and somebody else didn't. So sin is this antisocial chorus of I want, I want, I want, I want, I want. The good news, and you obviously know this is coming, you wouldn't be here or I wouldn't be here if this wasn't coming. The good news is that Jesus came to destroy narcissism, right? In 1 John 3, 8, there's a great verse. It's a Christmas verse. It's not Christmas, but it's a Christmas verse. John says, the reason the Son of God appeared, the reason the Son of God was born, was to destroy the works of the devil, Remember I said earlier in his gospel, John said that the world is ruled by the evil one. And so then Jesus comes to destroy the evil one in his work. And if the evil one runs the world, then anything that's in the world is of him. So when you do worldly things, when I do worldly things, we are not doing the work of God. We are doing the work of the devil. But Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil. He came to destroy narcissism. He came to destroy the desire for approval. When we think we have a great phone or a great outfit or a great body or a great Facebook profile, basically we are looking for approval. We want someone to approve of us, someone to accept us. 
We think that we can get in with other people. But Christ, Christ purchased our approval on the cross. God approves of us because he approves of his son. Jesus came to destroy a desire for comfort. So many commercials try to sell you the American dream. I don't know if you know this, but there are billions of dollars spent every year to try to get you to buy the American dream, which is, if you haven't heard it yet, you might hear it later in high school, but it's that you can own your own house and you can have 2.3 children and you can live in the suburbs and you don't have to have a hard life and you can have everything you want. You can have a boat, long weekends, great vacations, and you die and you don't go to hell. That's what the American dream is. It's comfort. Jesus died so that your true comfort lies in the fact that your sins are paid for if you believe in Jesus. And then Jesus also died so that you don't have to crave power. A lot of media tries to sell you power so that you can have power over other people, the pride in possessions part, right? If you have possessions, if you have a great resume, a great pedigree, you can have power over people. And you can have power over your destiny. Jesus died so that you can rest in the fact that God has all power. And you are free to be weak. You're free to lose. Because he has all power. Before we close, I want to think about why John wrote this. Have you ever thought about that when you read the Bible? Why did he write this? Think about, like, the Holy Spirit wasn't whispering into his ear as he's writing this. I don't know what you think of when you think of how the Bible was put together, but that's not how it happened. And so I was thinking as I put this together, why did he write this? This is three verses in a whole letter about loving other people and loving God. Well, in the Gospel of Luke, we read about the night that Jesus was betrayed and he instituted the Passover, which is where we partake of communion together, right? He made the Passover the Last Supper. We call it communion, where he gives his body and his blood in the form of bread and wine, or in our case, grape juice. And he did this meal with them, and he said, this is my body broken for you, and this is my blood that is shed for the forgiveness of your sins. Whenever you do this, remember me. Remember that it's about me going to the cross. He was going to go to the cross in a few hours. That's what it was about. Right after that, in Luke 20, write, write this down because you want to read this later. Luke 22, 24 through 27. Luke 22, 24 through 27. John is sitting in this room with these disciples. Right after the Passover, they get into an argument about who's the greatest. Talk about narcissism. They, the, their problem wasn't iPhones and, and Facebook and commercials. Their problem was the kingdom of God is coming and that's the medium through which we're going to communicate our power to the world. The kingdom of God is coming. Jesus is going to be king. He's really going to be king. Who's going to be at his right hand? Who's going to be his right hand man? They're arguing about this. And then what does Jesus do? He doesn't say stupid people. He washes their feet. They didn't have shoes like you and I did. Their feet were dirty and smelly and rotten and probably had cuts and sores all over them. 
And in John 13, Jesus washes their feet. And then he looks at them and he says, would you love each other? Would you love each other like I love you? I just washed your feet and I'm going to the cross. So if you love me, love each other. The disciples, even John, were so preoccupied with themselves that they couldn't see what Jesus was doing for them, was going to do for them. And by washing their feet, by dying on the cross, Jesus shows them, this is what it means to love God. This is what it means to love people. I give up myself. I give up my desires for you. And so I think that when John wrote this letter, when he wrote this paragraph, he's remembering the moment when Jesus is washing his feet right after he argued about who's the best. And then he remembers the bread and the cup and he says, that's what it was for. I didn't get it then, but I get it now. He died for me. I think that's why he wrote this part. You can't love the world and love God. You can't. And if you don't love God, you won't love other people. So you might still be asking, how can I overcome the world? Well, John gives us an answer. This book is really awesome, this book of 1 John. In 1 John 5, 4 through 5, he says, for everyone who is born of God overcomes the world. This is the victory that has overcome the world, even our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world? Only the one that believes Jesus is the Son of God. And I don't have time to go into what Son of God means, but it carries with it a lot of meaning. And if I could sum it up in a sentence, it would mean Jesus is the true Son, the true man who never did what Adam did, never did what Israel did, never did what I did. He lived life for me, perfectly loving people. He perfectly loved God, and he died for me. The only way I overcome the world is faith, daily faith. Faith that Jesus is more beautiful, more wonderful, more awesome than any stuff that could come my way, than any prestige that could come my way. The media offers us things. It promises us things, but it never delivers. And we know that. If we're honest, we know that. So Jesus is he's saying, Come to me. He's saying, come, all who are weary and heavy laden, I'll give you rest. A great body, a great phone, a great career, I'll never give you rest. He says, if you are thirsty, if anyone thirsts, come to me. Come to me and drink. So I hope you come to him. Will you come to him? He's calling you to come. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray that we would come to you. Whether we are Christian or not, we need the same thing. We need Jesus. We need his life, his death, his resurrection for us. Whether we're Christian or not, there are parts of us that love the world. And we want to love God. And Lord, we confess the parts of us that do. Help us. We are really desperate, and we pray for your help. In Jesus' name, amen.